this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. So when I was in high school, I had a buddy who had a girlfriend who was an underclassman. And the word got around to me that she had a friend who had a really big crush on me. And she thought that I was hot stuff. And so I heard through the grapevine of this underclassman who apparently had great taste in men. And I thought to myself, who is this person? And so I didn't know who it was. So I was like, tell me who this person is. And so they said their name and their name didn't ring a bell at all to me. I was like, I don't know who this person is. And then they started to tell me stories about when I was around this person, which was like the first red flag, right? Like I was around them, but nothing on my radar went off that they should be on my radar, right? So like, I was trying to be like, all right, I don't know who this person is, but, but when somebody likes you, when you got those little butterflies, there's just something different. You guys remember those? Some of you are like, I can't hardly remember those. Oh, there was some right there. <laughs> and so I, I had to find out who this person was. So my buddy, he was like, hey, why don't you come over and, and we'll hang out on Friday night and um, y- you can meet this girl. And I was like, I don't know, man. That seems like high commitment. Like, we're in for the whole night. Can't you just point her out to be in school? So long story short, I'm in my car. My buddy's in the backseat. His girlfriend's in the backseat. And we're going to go pick up this girl that has a big crush on me. And I've never met her. And this is as close to a blind date as I ever came. And maybe this is why I never did the blind date scene. So we roll up to this girl's house, and I don't know who's going to come out of the door. But, boy, she was so excited. She had a bounce in her step. She had, you remember back in the day when people, girls all put the lip gloss on? That real shiny stuff? Yeah, that was my era. She had the lip gloss on and her braces right behind those. And she was smiling from ear to ear. She was so excited. And I don't even know who this person is, but she's getting in my car. She's going to be with me for whatever we're going to do that evening. And so uh, I wanted to uh, let my buddy know in the back seat that this wasn't going to be a thing, like this wasn't going to happen. And so I couldn't look at him, though, without looking past her. And she just sat in the passenger seat, all puppy dog with this big old smile. And every time I'd go to look at him, I'd make eye contact with her. And that just fed into her fantasy of whatever she thought this was going to be. And so I don't remember the girl's name, but I moved on uh, just to let you know. And I want you you to know this, that things are not always as they seem. Um, I thought in my head I had imagined what somebody who had liked me would be like, and she was not at all like I had imagined, all right? Um, Now, this next story is going to maybe make you judge me, and that's okay, right? Listen to last week's message. It's about forgiveness, okay? So you can forgive me. I may have some issues, but when I was a teenager, I wanted to actually like if I'm going to be with somebody, I want to be with like a Christian girl, right? So like when you would go to the youth conference, it was your opportunity to see who God would place in your life. And so we would be worshiping God and then we would stop worshiping and you would start scoping it out and hoping. A little scoping and hoping is kind of what would take place right there. And, and when you get done with worship, like, you know, you just see like the back of people. So you can't really see what they look like, but it's okay. 
That's enough to go on. And so you would see somebody and you'd be like, oh, look at that girl's hair. That hair is looking good. And then you would look and say, look, she's well-dressed. She's taking care of herself. Oh, man, this is going to be so good. And for the first time in your life, you're hoping for a greeting time in church. Normally, you don't care about shaking anybody's hand, but you're hoping that there can be some physical contact in the next few moments. Let me high-five them. Let me, let's lay hands and pray together. Let's do something. And so you're hoping as the Christian for all these things. And then this is where you're going to judge me. The time comes and they turn around and their face does not fit the rest of the image that you had in your head. And you're like, no, Lord, I thought that that was you. It's Satan. I'm so sorry. And then you would ask God to forgive you. And it's like, no, that's God's creation. And he loves him. And she can't do anything about that. But that's not going to be my thing. So things are not always as they seem. And that was a repetitive story. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You've seen that person. You, you, you had in your head what they were going to look like when they turned around. And it was nothing like you thought about. So uh, this week, as we jump into week number three of our Purity Culture series, we're looking at what God has to say about dating, about marriage, about sex and culture. And I think that we can all admit one thing is true about online dating. Things are not always as they seem. Some of you are like, yes, that is so true, Pastor Alex. I read this week that there are 323.9 million active users on dating apps right now. 18 to 29-year-olds, they prefer the app called Tinder. If you're an older generation, I'm not explaining it to you. 30 to 64-year-olds, they're a little bit more serious in the relationship game. They prefer Match.com. And those 65 years and older prefer either eHarmony or a religious dating site. And some of you are like, I think I'm on the wrong app. <laughs> so here's what's interesting, is that according to Pew Research, 97%, everybody say 97%. 97%. That means 97 out of 100 people believe that people are dishonest on their dating profile. And there's some sayings I had when I was a kid, you know, like the smellers, the feller, that's a good one. Another saying that we had is that it takes one to know one. And so if 97% of people are saying people are lying on their dating profile, guess what they're doing? They lying too. That's just how that rolls. And so here's, here's what men and women tend to lie about. They would lie about their job. They would lie about their height. They would lie about their weight. Um, their uh, description of their physique also was where they would lie. Men would tend to say that they have an athletic physique and women would have a toned physique. And, um, and everybody lied about having more money than they really do. And so I think it's easy to say that dating in the 21st century is hard. I mean, you've got a bunch of dishonest people who are valuing romance. They're valuing physical attractiveness and sexuality above things like commitment, fidelity, and integrity. And we watch on TV, millions of people actually watch, uh, this dating dynamic unfold on shows like The Bachelor. How many of you guys are Bachelor fans? It's in season number 27. Bachelorette, uh, season 19. What's the show about? Oh, I already told you. It's a bunch of dishonest people who value romance, physical attractiveness, and sexuality above commitment, fidelity, and integrity. Now, there are some people that I've found are so fed up with the dating game that they just want to get out. Like, I'm done. I don't want to even mess with it anymore. And somehow or another, there's a reality TV show who found these people who are done with the traditional dating game. But they're so committed that they want to get married. That the name of the show, and it's in its 16th season, is called Married at First Sight. Anybody seen this? 
Oh, yeah, this is something. These people desperately want to get married, but they don't want to do the traditional dating scene anymore. It's so weird that they've actually agreed to marry a complete stranger. So they have these specialists who are there, psychologists, different people, and they are the matchmakers, and they use their scientific formula, whoa, um, to determine what each couple should be. And so these people have never met. They've never had contact. They've never had a conversation. They meet as she's coming up the aisle to get married. Can you even imagine looking at me like, that's what I'm marrying? That's who I'm marrying? And so they've already committed. They're getting married. And so uh, out of 59 couples, would you believe that 59 couples are still together? No, because it's not true. And it's not even close to being true. Out of 59 couples, there's 13 who are still together, which includes those from the last year, which is a lot of people for the last couple of seasons who haven't hit the one-year mark. They're rocking a 22% success rate um, so far. I think it's true to say it is difficult to date. We live in a time in which people show their best and they kind of hide the rest. And unlike a few generations ago in which if you found like an attractive person and you met them and you could encounter them, you would like marry them. Now, like you literally have like 10,000 attractive people available to you through an app that you can see and that you can compare whoever you're with to whoever they are. And, and, and it's really harder maybe than ever to commit to just one person because I'm in essence saying no to the universe for you. And but what if somebody else has a better connection to me? What if someone else actually lives up to their dating profile? What if that person exists? And so you have people who are very slow to commit because they don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to pick the wrong one. And, and, and I don't know if you know this or not, but people are different in person than they are online. Can anybody say amen to that? I don't know if you've learned that or not, but yeah. Your dating profile is one thing, but actually meeting somebody in person, totally different game. I was just talking to a friend here uh, last week, and uh, she, she said, man, we met online. We had like the direct message. It was a connection. We exchanged numbers. We're doing the phone call thing. It's going great. We set up our first date, and she said, that was also the last date. She said, that guy was so weird in person. He didn't know what to do. He couldn't carry the conversation on. He was distracted, looking everywhere else. She said, this is not going to happen because there's something different when you meet someone in person. Have you ever met a celebrity that you really liked in person? It's different. It's so different. I had an opportunity. There's this uh, uh, music artist that I liked growing up, and I had in my head what he'd be like because I knew what his songs were like. I knew how he sang. I knew how he looked in the music video. But when I met him in real life, picking him up from the airport, he was different. He was not the same. He had, like, he was weird. There were some different things about this guy. And it's just different when you meet someone in person versus what you have in your head. Dating is hard, but I think it's even harder in today's society if your goal is marriage. In week number one of our series, I shared that since the early church began, every branch of the Christian church, the Orthodox, the Catholic, the Christian, uh, Protestant, whichever way you want to go, in every culture and every century has taught that the sexual ethic that we are to have as people who honor God is to abstain from sex outside of marriage. In other words, sex is to be saved for marriage. Unfortunately, today, people embrace what I will call a chew and spit romance. 
a chew and spit romance. I want you to imagine um, your favorite food, just the most delicious, delectable food. And we're going to go to the restaurant, and we're going to spend big money on it. I mean, it's going to be the most delicious piece of whatever it is that you love. I mean, it's going to be so well-prepared. It's going to be perfect in every way. And so can you imagine going into the restaurant and taking a bite of your favorite thing, and oh, as soon as it hits your tongue, it is delicious, like this is so good, but that you just chew it up and then you spit it out. And you say, that was good, but you know what? I don't want it to become a part of me. And so you take another bite and I'm just going to chew. Oh, this tastes so. <laughs> that was good, but I don't want it to actually become a part of me. This is how a lot of people treat romance today. Oh, I really want to be with you, but I don't want to be married to you. I don't want you to be a permanent part of me. How about we just chew this up a little together and we'll spit it out? Chew and spit romance. I enjoy it, but I don't want it to become a permanent part of me. Hebrews 13.4 says this, that marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. I want you to know this, that relationships matter to God, and we would be wise if we would look to him for our relationship advice. Let's look at that verse again. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept, what's that word? Pure. Now, I get that 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 word has maybe been misused, and it's been connected to the purity culture, purity movement of the 1990s and 2000s, and, and some of you may have recoiled from that, but listen, This needs to be said, purity is still the call of Christians today. In 2023, that's still what we're called to be, is to be pure. And if you grew up in that purity movement with purity rings and abstinence pledges, you might have been turned off to like anything that has to do with God or anything to do with this sexual abstinence idea. But listen, this is still what God's calling us to be today. Purity is still the call of Christians today. And so I want to provide you some statements as a correction to some of the extremes that came out of the purity movement. And so you can take these or leave these. It's not the message. This is the bonus, okay? But number one, this is a correction that needs to be made to what happened in those early days of the purity movement, is that virginity does not equal righteousness. Just because you're a virgin doesn't mean that you're righteous, okay? Those aren't the same thing. Uh, my, My sister had a a guy that she was in the youth group with who was smoking pot, doing drugs with this gang uh, kind of behind like the school. And she was like, hey, I thought you went to youth group. What are you doing? And he said, hey, back off. I'm still a virgin. He completely misunderstood. And he thought that if I'm a virgin, I'm righteous. God's going to bless me. God's going to be good. It doesn't matter how dishonest I am. It doesn't matter how many other things I get involved in. It doesn't matter. I'm a virgin. And so I want you to know is that virginity does not equal righteous. In fact, some of the most unrighteous people I know may still be virgins and full of lust and deceit and all sorts of things in their heart because it's not what happens on the outside, it's what's going on on the inside. Number two, a little correction to the purity movement is that just because you've messed up doesn't mean that you're worthless. See, a lot of people grew up and they heard these messages that you got to be pure and that's what God's going to honor. And so they felt like they were done before they started because they'd already screwed up. And so they felt worthless. They felt like they were, were never going to be all that God would want them to be. But just because you've messed up doesn't mean that you're worthless. Number three here is you don't have to have a significant other to be significant. 
for some reason it came across in these messages that like, if you're going to be all that God wants you to be, you better get married. You better have a spouse. Like if you don't have a spouse and don't want kids, what's the matter with you? Well, wait a second. Last I checked, Jesus never got married. Last I checked, Paul wasn't promoting singleness because you're more effective in ministry. So don't think that if you're single, you're less significant than married Christians. No, you can achieve God's best without having a significant other. But let's just add this onto there. You will only ever be complete in Christ. You're not complete when you get married. You don't need the other person to complete you. If you do, you're messed up. If you want a healthy relationship, you have to be a healthy individual. Because healthy individuals are the only people who can actually give. And to give is the essence of what love is. Lust is all about getting. Love is all about giving. You cannot give if you are unhealthy because you're broken and you have needs and you're selfish. Not on the notes anymore. Here we go, back to number four. <laughs> you are not your sexual identity. You are more than your sexual temptation. You're more than your sexual appetite. You're more than your sexual history says you are. And I think that some people need to know that God is more committed to your destiny than he is to your desires. He wants to get you where he wants to get you to. We'll deal with the desires along the way, but that's not the thing that's going to hold you back. You've got to place him on the throne of your life. You are not your sexual identity, and we live in a time in which your sexual identity becomes everything. No, it is not who I am. We have to be careful when we make sexual identity who we are. I am more than any sexual identity. And, and, and number five, last little correction here to our purity movement that took place, is that there are no second-class Christians. There are no second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. No matter what your history is, no matter what you've done, no matter what bad things happened, listen, that doesn't mean that you're second-rate. It's not like, oh, all us virgins and pure people are up in first class, but you're back in coach. No, we're all first class. We're all together. Listen, when you become a child of God, you're a child of God, and God doesn't play favorites. We're all just children of God. So I want each of you to experience life as God intended. I want you to do life God's way. And I get that God's ways aren't our ways and his thoughts aren't our thoughts. But when we can learn to do life his way, it's the only time that we will ever experience fulfillment. And it's the only time that we'll ever experience fruitfulness in our life. Every other time, it's just like our wheels spinning in the dirt. We're not really going anywhere. We feel like we're going through the motions, but it doesn't seem to make any difference. It's only in Christ as we learn to do things his way. And I'm so glad his ways aren't our ways because, man, my ways are screwed up. They're not right. I judge people by the way their hair looks. I'm glad God's ways aren't my ways. I'm glad his thoughts are higher than my thoughts. And if I can learn to think his way and if I can learn to do it his way, man, life will be completely different for me. So this morning, I do want us to talk about dating a little bit, and we'll go a little bit deeper on this, not just have some fun with it. We'll actually look at the Bible. How about that for a change? I think the starting place for us is that God loves you and has a plan for your life. God loves you, and he has a plan for your life, which means that you have purpose. If God has a plan for you, that means you have purpose. Now, the question is, is God's purpose for you involve marriage? 
For some people, God's purpose for them may not involve marriage. And you know what? If you're committed to God, you want God's best. And if that's his best for you, then you should be all right with that. Well, no, I'm not all right with that. I became a Christian so God could give me a man. Wait a second. That's you running your life, hoping God will serve you and your little kingdom. That's not how this works. We are a part of God's kingdom. He's the center. We serve and revolve around him. And if he thinks it's best for us to get married, well, yeah, I want to get married. If I not, cool. God's going to meet the needs that I have in his way, his timing. Whatever God wants is what I want. Now, you may say, hey, I'm single, and I would like that. Great. Okay. Here's what I want to give. Four marriage possibility responsibilities. If it's possible for you to get married, all right, I got some responsibilities for you. This is so good. I like how that says it too. Marriage possibility responsibilities. If marriage is a possibility for you, then there's some responsibilities you need to carry out. And if you're already married, you don't get to check out because I'm married too. And I know that I'm getting ready to release in the next uh, few years, three singles into the world. I got three boys. I'm going to be releasing singles in the watch out, girls, because they're coming. They're going to be eligible bachelors. And so, so what I'm going to talk about is something that is going to apply to them, apply to them. And so I know some of you, you got kids. Some of you, you say, I don't have kids. All right, you got that friend. You know that friend that needs that relationship advice? You listen for them today, okay? A long time ago, there was a man named Abraham who God had promised to make the father of many nations. And miraculously, despite their age, him and his wife, Sarah, had a baby named Isaac. Eventually, Sarah got old and she died. And Abraham, as he was nearing the end of his life, realized that this promise God had made to him to be a father of many nations would not happen if his boy Isaac didn't get married. And Isaac is about 40 years old. He's the first biblical case of a 40-year-old virgin. And Abraham said, we got to get Isaac a wife. But Isaac, he was busy. He knew what he was supposed to be doing. He was caring for this land that God had given him. He was doing what he was supposed to do. He was involved in this purpose. So Abraham was going to help find a wife for his son Isaac. But Abraham realized, I'm too old. I can't travel. I can't go. And the people who are around here ain't the people he ought to marry. I need to get back to the land that I came from. And over there, I think there'll be a spouse for my boy. And so he didn't make the trip himself. Instead, he had a, he had a dude. He had a guy who worked for him. And he had this guy come and he had him swear to God that he would find a wife for Isaac. And it got weird. He was taking his hand and putting it under his thigh and making him say stuff. And so you can read about that and, you know, go down that path on your own. But, but eventually this guy took off on his new mission to find Abraham, his son, Isaac, a wife. And so as he takes off on this journey, we read in Genesis chapter 24, verse 12, Oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, he prayed. This is what the man's praying. Please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. If marriage is a possibility for you, here's your first responsibility. Number one, you got to pray. You got to pray. This guy's on the hunt. He's going out. He's going to find a wife. Okay, you're going to find a spouse. You had better get God involved. And I know some of you are like, well, <laughs> 
Pastor Alex. Yeah, I am single, and I can tell you, every day, all day, that's what I pray for. God, just send me someone. Check, got that done. But listen, listen, listen. Prayer involves more than talking. It also involves listening. If you want to have success in finding a spouse, you had better be praying for some divine guidance. And there is a big difference between telling God what you want and seeking his guidance. See, some of you probably should stop praying, God, help me find someone, and probably should start saying, God, help me find me in you. Because you're not complete, and you think that if you get that person that's going to complete you, you don't need a girl, you need God. You don't need a boy, you need God. And you can't enjoy relationships the way that God intended until you are only dependent on God. So before you say, oh, no, I got this prayer thing down. No, no, you've got to ask for his guidance. See, you don't want to just pick anybody who will agree to marry you. You want God to supernaturally move on your behalf. You want God to protect you. You want him to lead you. You want him to guide you. You want him to bless you. You want him to care for you all the way to the altar. And you want him to be your God on the other side of the altar as a married person. If you're going to want the power of God working through you as you pursue marriage, you've got to spend time in prayer. Now, all the married people in the room, you don't get out of this. Let me ask you, how often are you praying for your spouse? I mean, don't you want God to be the center of your relationship even after you've put a ring on it? Don't you want God's continued blessings? Don't you want his guidance to see you and your spouse stay true to your vows all the way to the end? We need to spend time praying for one another. If we want God's guidance and leadership in our life, we have to pray and invite it, listen to it, and then respond to it. So back to Genesis chapter 24, our man is on a mission. He is pursuing a wife for Isaac. He's praying, he's asking God for success. And I find that this is, this is really interesting. This is the first record of someone ever kneeling before God and making a very specific prayer request in the Bible. So for all of you who've been praying for a spouse, you are praying the oldest prayer in the Bible. God, send me somebody. Here's what he says. Oh, Lord God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. Marriage possibility, responsibility. Number two, you got to position yourself properly. Jot this down. Where you look determines who you find. Mm, that was so good. I'm going to say it again. Where you look determines who you find. When I bought my first home, I was given advice. They said, hey, there's three important things to know before you buy a home. I said, all right, I'm ready. They said, location, location, location. That same thing is true when it comes to finding a spouse. You've got to position yourself properly. You have to locate yourself in the right place to find the right person. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember the story. It happened a while ago, but there was this violinist named Joshua Bell. He was a child prodigy. By the age of 39, Joshua Bell was an internationally acclaimed virtuoso. Three days after Bell had filled the house at Boston's Stately Symphony Hall, where like seats were going at a minimum for like $100 a piece, he went to Washington, D.C., and he went down in the subways, and they did this social experiment. 
This guy who is the best at what he does, who sells out symphony halls, they said, what if we put him in a subway and let him play? What will people do? Will people recognize the beauty of what he's playing? Will people honor it? Will people recognize it? And so he went down and for 43 minutes he played. And at the end of 43 minutes, you know what happened? Six people stopped and actually listened for any amount of time. Other people threw quarters at him. And when he got done, he had $32.17 that he'd made. He went on two weeks after this to sell out uh, the music center at Strathmore where he played to a standing room only audience that was so respectful of his artistry that they stifled their coughs until the silence between movements. But in the subway, he got $32.17. And the violin that he played, he eventually sold for $3.5 million. What was the problem? Location. Location. Where you look determines who you find. In our Bible story, our man went to a specific spring in a specific town. He didn't just roll up to any old town. He went to the town where the women who were appropriate to marry lived. And he also paid attention to the timing. He see, he went in the evening because that's when the women were going to come out of the town to come and draw water. See, our man was taking this pursuit of a spouse seriously. He wasn't just rolling up to any old well and any old town with any old group of women looking for any desperate person to marry. No, he located himself in the right neighborhood to get the right woman because he knew where you look determines who you find. I mentioned earlier, I'm going to be releasing three singles into the world. It's going to be so awesome. I'm going to let you know what my plan is. Some of you guys need to steal this plan. It's a good plan. See, my plan with my boys is to have them in church as much as possible because I want them to want God in their life. And if they're passionate about God in their life, they're going to be passionate about marrying someone who wants God in their life. And what better place to meet someone who wants God in their life than in church? I mean, it's just a crazy thought, oversimplified, but that's the plan. In our story, it's pretty interesting that after our man finds Isaac a wife. In verse 48, he bows low and he worships God because God led him straight to the right person. He used where he located himself. He used the prayer. God met him where he was at and he provided a woman by the name of Rebecca for Isaac to marry. Let's jump back into our story. We'll put it all in context here. Oh Lord, God of our master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring and the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. This is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink and I will water your camels. I don't know why she has a low voice. Let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. And this is how I will know that you have shown unfailing love to my master. Verse 15, before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. Rebecca was very beautiful and old enough to be married, but she was still a virgin. She went down to the spring, filled her jug, and came up again. 
running over to her, the servant said, please give me a little drink of water from your jug. Yes, my Lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. And when she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. So she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for his camels. Marriage possibility, responsibility number three, is you got to know what you want. For the sake of time, I'm going to abbreviate here, but our man knew what he wanted. He knew the standard for selecting a wife for Isaac, and because he knew what he wanted, it helped him to avoid a less desirable choice. In dating, sometimes you're tempted to make quick decisions because you're lonely. And let's be honest, being lonely sucks. But listen, it's better to be single and lonely than married and lonely because you went to the wrong place and you got the wrong person and now you're full of regret. You guys ever gone to the grocery store when you're hungry? With no plan. As soon as you go in there, you know what you see? You see the donuts. You see the bakery section. Before you know it, you're in the ice cream aisle. And you get this food, and you take it home, and you eat it, and when you get done, you're full of regret. It didn't satisfy like you thought. It, it looked good in the moment, but then you know what you say? I'm never eating again. <laughs> but then eventually, you get hungry again, and you go back to the grocery store, and you don't have a plan, and the cycle continues. This is a lot of people's dating lives. Oh, I didn't have a plan, and, and, and I don't know. It looked yummy, so I took it home, and now I feel regret. I'm never dating again. Listen, you need a plan because you're a wreck. You need to know what you want so you don't just walk home with whatever. What kind of person do you want to spend the rest of your life with? What kind of character do you want that person to have? Determine who you want so you know who to find. Okay, I move on. Number four, marriage possibility, responsibility number four, and this may be the most important, and you got to be on fire for God. I even used a little flame emoji because it's even cooler. <laughs> you got to be all in. You got to be sold out. You got to be committed because when you're committed to Jesus and you're committed to living for him, relationships become a bonus. I'm satisfied here. Oh, you want to add a bonus? That's great, but I don't need it. I'm content and satisfied in who I am. I'm content and satisfied in what I have with my relationship with God. He is meeting my every need. Oh, God, you want me to get married? Well, that's an awesome extra bonus, but I was, I was whole and healthy before that. It's interesting to me that at the very beginning of our story, and I didn't even share this with you, but we're going to look at it now. Our man left Abraham to go on this mission to find Rebekah. And he said this in verse five, the servant asked Abraham, he said, but what if I can't find a young woman who's willing to travel so far from home? Should I then take Isaac to live among your relatives and the land you came from? And Abraham shouts, no, be careful never to take my son there. For the Lord God, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and my native land, solemnly promised to give this land to my descendants. If she's unwilling to come back with you, then you are free from this oath of mine, but under no circumstances are you to take my son there. 
In other words, Isaac has a purpose. He has a destiny, and God has called him to this land to remain here. And Abraham was abundantly clear, don't allow a woman to call him or pull him away from his calling in life. And friends, can I encourage you, don't give up on your purpose, even momentarily, to find a spouse. Don't let anything pull you from what God's calling you to do. And don't you dare settle for someone less than on fire for Jesus. God's will for you is to be with somebody who loves Jesus. Who not only loves Jesus, but wants to lead you in loving Jesus. Last summer, I was at Mayo Clinic up in Minnesota, and I decided to go out for a run in between my MRIs and my doctor appointments. And so I looked on Google Maps and I found a route. I was like, all right, I could go out on this so far. I'll turn around and come back. But it might be able to loop around. We'll see when I get out there. I wasn't so sure. So I took off on this run. I've never been on this road before. I've never been in this path. I found a place to park. It was great. You know, so here I go, just out in the middle of nowhere. Some of you are like, that sounds really scary. It's so thrilling. It's great. Have my little GPS kicking along. And uh, so I'm running, and I, it was weird. I ran under railroad tracks. I ran by a jail. I didn't even know there was a jail out there. Didn't see that on the Google Maps. Ran by this prison and all the barbed wire. And then I popped up, and I ended up in like this park. And there's like trails. And I was like, all right, this is kind of cool. I kind of remember this on the, on the Google Map. And so as I'm running, this other guy like came alongside me. And he was running like the same pace as me. And so I was like, hey, man, what's up? And so we struck up a conversation. We began to talk. We began to actually just run stride for stride with one another for like over a mile. We're just talking. He's telling me about how he was on a big fitness journey. He, he looked about like me. He said, yeah, I lost about 100 pounds. I said, what? I said, how'd you have an extra 100 pounds? He said, yeah. He said, I never ran a day in my life until I was 35. I was like, really? And so this guy just had completely changed his life, got into running, and had this pursuit of living a healthy lifestyle. Well, I was wanting to live a healthy lifestyle. That's why I was out running. And because of our shared pursuit, we came together and matched stride with one another for a long time. And in fact, he actually gave me directions on how to not get lost. It was wonderful. He told me where to go. And he'd been running way longer than me. I was going to run maybe five miles. He was running 12. He was already like 10 miles in when I caught up to him. Yeah, and so we're chatting, we're talking, and we're doing life together. And it wasn't because I sought him out. It wasn't because I got on a Facebook group and was like, hey, I need somebody to run with. It wasn't any of that. We just came together because we're both pursuing the same thing. And because of our shared pursuit, we met stride with one another. This is the illustration I want to give you as you think about getting married. You should fully, wholeheartedly be pursuing God. Your focus is him. Your focus isn't a spouse. Your focus is him. And when you focus on him, man, it's amazing. God might just put somebody beside you that's matching pace with you, that's pursuing the same thing you are. And your shared pursuit is Jesus. You want to please him. You want to honor him. You want to do life his way. And when you have that as your pursuit, man, and God brings somebody alongside, that's probably the kind of person you should be with. But when you take your eyes off of God and you start looking around for who to marry, you're going to have all sorts of regrets and pain and hurt and baggage and sorrow and things that you don't want. So I want you to live God's best. And when you have put your attention fully on him, he says, seek first me and my kingdom. All these other things will be added to you. Can you trust God? 
You trust him for your eternal life, apparently. Can you trust him for a spouse? Can you trust him with your loneliness? What if you found your future spouse in pursuit of godly living through purity? It'd be awesome to let God write your love story. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.